Authors Over 50, Writing in Life's Sweetest Third. Authors Over 50's weekly podcast celebrates writers and their journeys to publication. Writing after 50 is a whole story on its own, so let's skip to Life's Sweetest Third and talk with authors about their journey from pen to publish. Welcome, I'm Julia Daly, your host, and I invite you to listen to interviews with writers who've achieved their goal of publishing a book just later in life. We've seen award lists for under 30 or under 40, but I've yet to see lists for those who've achieved a significant milestone of their own, launching a new career and publishing their first book after the age of 50. We will hear about these authors' inspirations, struggles, strategies, and the smell of that first book. These writers' journeys inspire me because I'm one of them. My guest today is the author of the Maggie Dove Mystery Series. Her debut novel, The Fiction Class, was published when she was 51, though she was beginning to worry it might not be until she was 101. (laughs) Susan's short stories are forthcoming in several anthologies, among them The Mystery Writers of America Crime Hits Home and Malice Domestics Murder Most Diabolical. She teaches novel writing at Gotham Writers. She lives in a little village in the Hudson Valley with her husband and two little cockapoos. Her three children are thriving elsewhere. Welcome to Authors Over 50, Susan Breen. Thank you very much. Excited to be here. Susan, our opening question on Authors Over 50 is always, so what took you so long to write your first book? Well, writing a book is hard. (laughs) It took me a while to figure out how to do it. I started off as a reporter and that I could figure out because you had a very specific job. You had to interview somebody. So I was okay there. And then I moved from that into writing short stories. That was okay because um, they were short. So if you went wrong, you only would go wrong with 20 pages. Then I decided to write a novel and all of a sudden I had to think about filling 300 pages and I didn't know what to do. So, and I had, my kids were little, they were home. So I couldn't really, this was before Zoom. So I couldn't take classes. And I basically figured it out by just reading and reading and reading, but that takes time. So the long and the short of it is, it just took me a long time to figure out how to write a novel. And I don't know that anybody figures it out, but at least I figured it out what works for me. It does take a lot of study to learn this craft of this, yes. this uh, animal that is different than anything else we've ever written about. Yes, definitely. Well, there aren't many creative writing journeys that hinge on a master's degree in Russian economics, <laughs> but that's exactly where yours began. How did that yes. interest come about? My father, uh, my grandfather was from Russia. And so I was raised on my father's stories about Russia, actually Ukraine, I have to say. So, um, but that's a whole other story. But uh, so when I graduated, I knew I wanted to go into reporting and I wanted to be a foreign correspondent. And I dreamed of going to Russia. And so I got my degree in Russian economics and It succeeded in getting me a job at Fortune Magazine, where I worked, uh, very exciting, I worked at the Time Life Building, which 
Well, it's really a dream come true. I was only 20, I think I was 22 when I got that job. And uh, some of the great reporters, economic reporters of the day were working there then. So it was really exciting, but it was not a job that it was possible to raise children and do and came a point where I had to make a choice. And uh, I didn't think I could write a novel. To me, novelists are, you know, I was thinking of Dickens and Tolstoy and I thought novelists are so big. And what did I have to say? But it turned out I had a lot to say. <laughs> so, so, but yes, yeah, so I kind of went from Russian economics to, I have tried to get an economist into various um, novels, but somehow it never works. Nobody is all that interested in reading about economists, unfortunately. I think it's very intriguing. I just wondered if it did find its way into your work. Some stories, the journalism part definitely found its way in. And the characters I met with definitely uh, found their way in. When I was a reporter, we would spend weeks working on a story and we would travel all over the country. And um, I met some very unusual people. And so I've certainly drawn on that in writing, but the actual Russian economics part, I've never, I've periodically tried to, um, the closest I came actually, I think was in the fiction class where the romantic lead of that is a financial person. And I kind of, um, I kind of drew on people for that, but that was, actually I did. No, that's, I, I met someone like him when I was on a trip for Fortune Magazine. So I did sort of pull on that a bit. Well, you, you teach novel writing for a prestigious yes. group, Gotham Writers. Can you yeah. tell us about how writers have changed over the years and about the classes you teach? Well, a big change has been uh, that we've moved pretty much on Zoom ever since the uh, pandemic. So it used to be we were based in New York. We still are based in New York. And all our students would come from New York, which is a very diverse population. So it was a diverse group, but now people come from all over. So I'll have students signing in from Singapore, uh, even as I've got students who are, you know, on the Jersey shore, like you just don't know where people are gonna come from. So it's fun because I get to hear incredible stories just from people um, all over. I mean, in some ways, it's made me realize how universal writing is. I love, um, you could talk to somebody who comes from some little island that you don't even realize is a country and they're writing a story and we all identify with that story. So I love that. And I love, um, I love the feeling of community in my classes. I just taught one this morning on novel first draft. And uh, it's just exciting to be with people at the start of writing a novel uh, and anything could happen. So it's fun. It is exciting. And I think the one good thing that came from the pandemic is that we learned about Zoom. I'd never heard of it yes. before. And now I can Zoom into people's living rooms all around yes. the country and have a book club meeting. And so that, that is exciting. It really is. And, you know, at first it was really scary and it took us, you know, we spent a lot of time saying you're muted, you're muted. But um, now everybody seems to have the hang of it. And it really just opens so many, you know, I think of myself when I was a young mother and what I would have been able to do 
Um, it's just, it's so that part is very exciting. Just today, I had two young women in my class from different parts of the country who were talking about how hard it is to write when you're a young mother. And she was saying, you know, well, to the other woman, they were talking about what advice did they have? And I thought, oh, I would have loved this. I mean, it was just, they could really relate. They knew what each other, what they were talking about. And um, yeah, it's exciting. And then one of the young men chimed in and said, well, I have some of the same problems. <laughs> that was fun too. So. Susan, I think mysteries are very difficult to construct. Do you have a method of keeping up with clues you drop and twist and turns in the plot? It's very hard. I mean, for me, that's the hardest part of the whole thing. I always start with a character and I always start with asking myself, why, why would this person want to kill somebody? Whereas Agatha Christie uh, often said, the, a murder mystery begins with a person who is murdered. What has that person done to get somebody so mad at her that they want to murder her? So I often start with that. Who is the person who's been killed? And then I just think and think and think. And I try and think of a bunch of people who might want to kill this person. Um, and, then, and then I kind of work backwards from that. But for me, the heart of the story is in the characters. So I spend a lot of time thinking about what would push you to be so angry? And, you know, something I've discovered sort of to my surprise, because my first Maggie Dove mystery starts with somebody who's ready to kill somebody because he wants to cut down her tree. And that led me to research murders involving trees. And a surprising number of murders are commit not necessarily over trees, but over what I would consider to be a small thing, like a parking spot, or um, you know, somebody paints their house a particular color and won't change it back. So big things you would think of, like your kids are in danger, where you think, oh, all right, I, I would do something about that. But it tends to be like little things that just kind of chip away at people and eat at them. So, um, so that was a surprise to me to realize that um, you know, that people can have this well of anger in them that maybe they don't even realize. Well, that's why they say fences make good neighbors yes. <laughs> with those trees and dropping <laughs> limbs on your neighbor's place. Maybe it makes you very angry. <laughs> well, you know, that's funny that you would say that because we were just up at my daughter's house and there's a tree right on the dividing line and they were the neighbors were going to take down the tree that day. I think it's actually it was on the neighbor's land. They were all right there, but they cut down a branch and crash. It went right down onto their cable wire. And I just thought, so I, mean, I guess there are these very big things that take up a big part of your visual space. And um, yes, yeah, so I think there's a lot of conflict around trees, <laughs> surprisingly so. Did real people inspire any of your characters? Well, I mean, I guess I inspired myself because a lot of the characteristics of my protagonist are mine. I mean, she is a, she's a person of my age and she's a Sunday school teacher and I was a Sunday school teacher for many years. I wanted to have somebody who was active in her church and I saw the church as a community. Churches are very fun places to, I mean, for me anyway, they're fun to it's kind of like a family almost, you know, so that part is fun at the same time as part of a small community. And so, yes. And then 
I try to stay away from basing things too much on people I know just because, well, for several reasons, one of them being it's, you could get sued, but I'm, I'm really not trying to hurt anybody. I, I'm really just more trying to tell a story. So I will definitely take something that I've overheard somebody say or um, not anything secret, but, um, or like sometimes ticks, like people will do something with their hands and I'll use that or they'll wear their hair in a particular way. And I use that, but I try not to go too close to people. I actually know there was no one would ever talk to me. <laughs> you want people to feel like they can, they can tell you their secrets and things without it showing up on the page. And I think writers are great observers of yeah. people and, traits and things that they can use in their writing. Yes, definitely. It's something, it's one of the exercises I give to my students is to tell them to go to Grand Central and just sort of sit there and watch what you see. And, uh, but even sitting in a parking lot um, is the same thing. You, you just, the parking lots are really interesting because a lot of people will drop people off in parking lots. I mean, like if you're going on a trip or you're exchanging custody or something like that, they will use parking lots. So um, it's actually a, a good place to sit in hotel parking lots um, are, are really good. <laughs> so, What about your writing routine? Are you a morning person or a night person? Do you write every day? I do write every day. I get up every morning at six. Um, last night was hard because it was the 4th of July and they were setting off fireworks and my poor dog was beside himself. But um, yes, I get up every morning at six and I write pretty much straight through for two hours. And then I will um, then throughout the day I come back. But my most productive writing is definitely in the morning. Um, and that was actually another thing I was talking to my students with today about. I think it's so important to have a regular routine, even if you're only writing 15 minutes a day, but it just gets your mind in that place where you're always thinking of the story. I think that's important. Though, of course, being writers, uh, half of them feel compelled to disagree with me because <laughs> we already quarrel some bunch. But um, but I still, I, I said, you can disagree, but I think I'm right. <laughs> so. Well, I don't think we can wait until the muse strikes. We have to sit in the seat and, and write something, whether the muse is with us or not. <laughs> yes, I agree. Absolutely. Yes. And the worst thing is to wait too long. So. When you um, knew that you wanted to write your first book, how did you proceed? Did you search for an agent, decide to choose a hybrid, go with a small press, or did you self-publish? Um, my first book, I went to a, I, I wrote the book and I went to a conference and the first, I entered a, a contest at the conference and the first prize was an agent. And I won the contest and I won the agent. So um, then she worked with me to get, uh, to get the book ready, sent it out, but it didn't sell. Otherwise I couldn't be on this podcast because I would have been an author over 40. Um, and then I then through a long series of things, I wound up with different agents and so forth. But eventually, and I wrote another book, eventually, um, my first book, The Fiction Class, I went to another contest, another conference, rather, this one in New York City. And I had to pitch my novel to an editor. And I did, there was an editor there, this young woman from 
Penguin Random House. And she was, you know, she couldn't have been older than 25, I think. And when I gave her my pitch, she said, I love this book. We're going to buy it. Wow. And they did. And once they did that, once I had an offer from them, then it was easy to find an agent. So then I got an agent for that. And um, so, but I've, I have to say over the course of my career, I've had several agents and publishers because that was fiction class. And then the, you know, subsequent to that, the editor, as happens in publishing all the time, the editor was, I don't know if she was fired, but anyway, she moved on uh, out of publishing and, uh, and et cetera. And there was all sorts of turmoil there. But then I wrote my Maggie Dove book, which was picked up by a different imprint at Penguin, published by them. An editor, really a lovely person, and uh, two books published with them, and then the imprint disappeared, and he was he moved on, and then I. Um, but meanwhile, you know, I was writing short stories and so forth, and the third book in the Maggie Dev series, um, I self-published because by that point I had the two already out, and I just wanted, you know, I wanted to have that closure, so. I've experienced all different types of the publishing business. So you just have to, you just have to keep writing, I guess is the, <laughs> it's the bottom line because you, you, you try and control what you have control over. And I have control over my writing, but all the stuff that happens in publishing, I just have no control over. Well, you're quite prolific. How, how long on average does it take you to write a book? say about a year. I spend a lot of time. Uh, I, I spend a lot of time on a first draft, really just sort of exploring what's going on. And so I'll spend months on that. And once I get the first draft all set, then, then I'm pretty quick. I think it comes from having been a reporter. You know, I sort of know what I want to say. Once I figure out what I want to say, I know what I want to say. And, and then, um, and then I can write it pretty quickly. So, and I'm pretty, I, I'm pretty focused. So, um, but it's that, it's that initial feeling when you start something new of just not knowing what it's going to be. And, you know, that's always a little hair raising. Well, tell us a little bit about the book you brought today to share and read a few paragraphs for us so that we can hear your tone and voice in the book. Yes, this is, this is Maggie Dove and the Lost Bride, which is the third book in the series and is, I love all the books in the series, but I think I like this one is my favorite because I work so hard. I mean, I worked harder on all of them, but I felt like this one was in some ways, I, I learned a lot about writing mysteries over the course of time I was writing mysteries. So I felt like I finally kind of figured it out. So this is the, I'll read the first chapter, uh, the first paragraph. Uh, Maggie Dove had never believed that a wedding was the happiest day of a woman's life. Happiness, she thought, like grief, could not be scheduled. Her husband's touch, one long ago night when they danced under a full moon. The sound of her daughter's bat when she slammed her first home run out of the park and into the Hudson River. A friend's whispered confidence. A cat soft fur brushing against her cheek and oak trees sudden burst into leaf. These were the memories that popped into her head far more frequently than the details of her wedding day. However, even from that philosophical vantage point, Bethany Coleman's wedding was shaping up to be a disaster. 
That's lovely. Thank you. I, I tend to write about women who are older and I, I uh, sort of drawn to that, um, to that voice, to that experience. Um, and I, I just, I won't read it, but I'll just say I had the story in this uh, month's or last month's Agatha, uh, Alfred Hitchcock Mystery Magazine, where an older woman connects with the ghost of Anne Boleyn to solve a mystery. Okay. <laughs> so, and I'm hoping that that will eventually become a book. Nice. Yeah. Well, how do you make books be standalones or or link the series together so that you're not repeating a lot of the same information from book to book? It's very hard. <laughs> I have to, and harder still is remembering what you said the first time around. So um, I, I always read through all the books before I start to write something new, because nothing worse than somebody has blue eyes in book one, and then they've got green eyes in book two. Um, I try and use I have certain core characters in the book, the sort of the Maggie Deb is the primary one and then the secondary ones, but I try and always throw in new characters. So that way I know anything I have to say about them is completely new. In the third book, um, I had Maggie Dove's young niece come from Indiana. So that opened up a whole other world of things because the niece is not from New York, which is where the book is set. And so everything to her is new. So even if I, duplicate some information, which hopefully I didn't do, but even if I do, it's all new to her. So she's got a different interpretation on it. So, but yeah, it's something I worry about. And of course I do have a, like a Bible where I write down everybody's stuff, but um, so I don't worry about it till I'm done with the first draft. I mean, I write the first draft and let it go. And then I go through and make sure that I'm not repeating. Well, you know, so many of us want to be seated at our desk and writing, but we have found the great challenge of publicity and marketing ourselves right. that, <laughs> that throws us uh, into the social media world. Is there anything that you have found that has worked for you or, or maybe more importantly, that didn't work for you? Yeah. <laughs> I have to say I have found libraries to be the best source of readers and I mean, libraries are just the source for me. And what I did when uh, the third, when Maggie Dagg from The Lost Brides came out was I contacted my local library and I offered to teach a class on uh, fiction writing. And that was really useful. And that went on for three weeks. But I, um, I, so I taught that for three weeks, uh, rather for three months, and it was really fun. And I got a bunch of really interesting people to come and I, um, so that was nice. So my plan is to work my way out to other libraries in Westchester. My book, the, um, the fiction class actually won an award from the Westchester Library Association. So that was really great. So I have a really nice feeling about libraries. Um, and then, you know, bookstores. And then of course, there's all this stuff you can do online, which is really amazing, which I don't understand a lot of myself, but, um, uh, but I hire somebody who's wonderful and she, she does a lot of that work. So, and as to what's not worked, um, I, you know, I, um, back in the day, I, I remember with 
fiction class that I would go to a Barnes and Noble, which, and you know, you're so excited because it's a this big bookstore and they have big thing. And invariably there would be two people there. And one of them would be my husband. And, you know, I just used to feel like, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, and I know that people are doing, I, I think independent bookstores are maybe more advocates for, uh, authors now but really most of, a lot of my book selling has been done through book clubs through uh libraries things like that do you still read for pleasure do you make time to read and if so in what genres i love reading i read all the time i've really become a big fan of audible because i find that my eyes are tired from sitting in front of the screen so i like to just sit down and listen to a book. I love mysteries. Um, I love, uh, I just read Lou Burney's book, November Road, which was set during the Kennedy assassination. So good. I love Tana French. I mean, I, I love, and then I'm, I always try and read something by Dickens just because I feel like I should. So right now I'm reading Great Expectations, which I love. Um, and then I love to read biographies. Right now I'm reading The House of Morgan by uh, Ron Chernow about the Morgans. And it's fascinating. I mean, it's so much wealth and so unhappy. And if you're a, if you're a mystery author, of course, you're always looking to figure out why, why are people unhappy? And you know what? So that's good. I, but I will pretty much read anything put in front of me. And of course I have a lot of friends who are writers and I'm reading those books and um so I, I read a lot. Well, I'm like you. I listen to a lot of audio books. Uh, I travel long distances to see my children and grandchildren so I can read a book on the way over and listen to yeah. them and a book on the way back. And then when I ride my bike, I can listen to a couple of books a week. Otherwise, if I had to sit down and read them out of print, I just don't think I could do it. Yeah. I agree. It's a, it's a lot. I feel like when I listen to it, I hear every word. I hear it in a way that I don't always hear it. If when I'm reading, I tend to skim. Uh, but when I'm listening, you can't really skim. So the only bad thing is you can't underline or anyway, I haven't figured out how to do that. So, um, so I'm forever getting some really important point will occur to me and I have no idea where it is. <laughs> well, I, I'm the same way. When I listen, I feel like I'm in the in the the story itself i'm one of the yes. characters you know i'm right there in the action but it doesn't stay with me as long as no. i read it in print right yeah that's a frustration and of course there's something wonderful about holding a book in your hands so do you ever google yourself or read reviews and how do you deal with the bad ones or the good ones my husband loves looking at reviews. So he'll, <laughs> if he finds one, he thinks I'll like, he'll read it to me. I don't honestly get that many bad reviews. So, I mean, that's a comfort, but um, I just get there. Like most of us who are writers, I'm basically an introvert. I mean, if I could spend all my time in my office, I would probably do it. So the idea of having people analyze you and critique you and talk about you is really not something I find appealing. So I like to be in my little imaginary place, just imagining everybody is happy with my book. But, you know, I look and I make sure that but there's nothing you can do. I mean, the my Amazon reviews are good. I look at that. Um, yeah, I, I just but I don't seek it out. I know there are people who like to read every single review and I'm not one of them. 
I don't want to know. If you, no. if you don't like it, it's your right, but I don't want to know. <laughs> what do you think the best money you've ever spent as a writer? Oh, what a great question. Um, hmm. I mean, probably the books. I, I don't know what, um, you know, how I would know how to do anything if I didn't read books. So I've, ever since I was a little kid, if I had disposable income, I spent it on books and I still do. But oh, hmm. I certainly have found it really helpful, like um, hiring Carrie, uh, who I think is somebody we both know. Um, hiring, there's a, a whole publicity side to writing that is something that I cannot do. Like, I do think that you reach a point where you have to or certainly an age where you have to figure out like what you can do and what you can't do. And um, she's terrific about like setting things up and making up newsletters and things like that, that um, I, I could do probably if I spent a month doing it, but it wouldn't really be cost effective. So, and my training as an economist has taught me <laughs> that it's important to be cost effective. So. Susan is talking about Carrie Barnum and she's with yes, new, yes. new Chef's books. Yes. And she's been a wonder. And she actually does a free advice Friday uh, every Friday with free marketing advice for anybody who wants to look that up. Yes. Susan, our writers over 50 are a unique set. Do you have any advice for writers 50 and above? I mean, one thing that has really been a joy to me as I've gotten older is to realize that um, writing, writing is one of the very few things I think where you actually do get better as you get older and you have more wisdom. Well, I hope it's wisdom. You certainly have more information to share. Um, and uh, your stories, uh, I don't know. I, I feel very encouraged because I was, always worried that, well, I was just going to get placed out of the marketplace, but it doesn't seem to happen. People are looking for a good story. So uh, there's somebody in my class who's 80 years old, and I'm going to tell you, she is telling a great story. And I feel like that's really all that matters is just to just have a good story. I do think we can share our stories until very late in life. I've, I've yes. interviewed people in their 80s and 90s, and they're writing beautiful work. Yes, absolutely. And, and in this particular woman's case, she's writing about a time that's really past, like only she can really tell this story. And I also think in some ways that older people can be more uh, hopeful. Like we, we have survived. We sort of know that you can survive. And um, when, when I was talking to the younger of my students today, like they were so gloomy about a number of things. And they look at me like I'm, you know, like I'm Moses battle. And um, I, and I just feel like, you know, it's okay. You can, you can make mistakes. You can. Uh, so I feel like, I, I feel like I still have stuff to say. And uh, I think it's a good time to be a right an author over 50. I think that's great advice and a great place for us to end our chat today. So I just appreciate your being with us here today and offering your generosity to other writers and i'm just very glad that you're now one of our authors over 50 thank you thank you very much <laughs> i appreciate it it's been fun 
Thank you for joining us today. Please look for Authors Over 50 every Thursday when we will have conversations with accomplished debut novelists over the age of 50. Please subscribe and share with a friend. And check out my own publication journey after 50 at www.juliadaily, that's D-A-I-L-Y, like dailynewspaper.com. Until next time, keep reading and writing. And remember, it's never too late to fulfill a dream in life's sweetest third.